It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Over the weekend, heavily armed Taliban fighters swept into Afghanistan's capital of Kabul after the government brutally collapsed. The Afghan president fled the country, signaling the end of the United States' long-term effort to secure and rebuild that nation. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan stated on ABC's Good Morning America, the president did not think it was inevitable that the Taliban were going to take control of Afghanistan. He thought the Afghan National Security Forces could step up and fight because we spent 10 years training them. In the meantime, we as a nation are still battling the coronavirus across the country with the FDA expanding its emergency use of Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, authorizing a booster shot for those immune compromised Americans. For this and more, let's bring in our panel. National political correspondent for NPR, Mara Lyason, Wall Street Journal columnist Bill McGurn, and editor and CEO of The Dispatch and host of The Dispatch podcast, Steve Hayes. Steve, it's hard to put into words uh, some of these images that we're seeing real time out of Kabul with people struggling to get on planes uh, to get out of there before the Taliban uh, officially takes control. And now we're getting word anecdotally from the ground that they're already going house to house looking for Afghan security forces. Yeah, it's a grim, grim situation. Um, You know, most urgently, the people on the ground in Afghanistan, um, Afghans, people who have been trying to to make uh, a, a unity government work for years, people who have been fighting alongside Americans, on the ground there, people have been assisting uh, as interpreters or other, uh, other diplomats. And average Afghan civilians are, are now terrified of what the Taliban rule will look like because many of them uh, have lived it before. This isn't hypothetical. We know what the Taliban will do. Um, one of our biggest mistakes as a country, I think, and this is a bipartisan mistake, was pretending that the Taliban were something other than what the Taliban are. And you've seen this in speeches from Barack Obama, from Donald Trump, from Joe Biden, uh, Americans consistently wishing that they were dealing with a Taliban that wasn't as violent and as brutal as the Taliban are. And things are only going to get worse from here. Mara, the president cutting his vacation short, addressing the nation this afternoon. Um, Politically, people point to President Trump and the efforts to negotiate with the Taliban and the efforts to talk about getting troops out. But in reality, this how it's ended and how it's coming to an end in this kind of chaos that we're looking at 
does fall in the lap of President Joe Biden. Absolutely. I can't think of a bigger foreign policy tragedy, certainly not in our lifetimes. I mean, George W. Bush got us in there. Donald Trump negotiated this peace deal with the Taliban only, not the Afghan government. But Joe Biden presided over this humiliating route. And even if the American people agreed with his basic decision that it wasn't worth it to stay in Afghanistan after 20 years and trillions of dollars, he was in charge of getting American troops and supporters, interpreters, et cetera, out safely. And, you know, uh, Steve just said that we pretended that the Taliban was something different than it was. I think another failure was pretending that the Kabul government and the Afghan military was something different than it was. Um, All of these years, 20 years of training, and I think something like $86 billion, uh, they still weren't paying their frontline troops or sending them out to fight without proper um, equipment or even food. So, there are so many failures here, and there, there's going to be this. This is the first major foreign policy decision that Joe Biden made as commander in chief, and there is no other way to look at it but a gigantic crashing failure. Wall Street Journal editorial page uh, saying it's a shameful moment in history and a moment of American retreat, Bill. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, I was first in Afghanistan back in the first war in 1987. And then when I worked for President Bush writing speeches on this, so, you know, I've been following this for a long time and it's a disaster. You know, Bob Gates famously said that Joe Biden has been wrong on every single major foreign policy decision of the last uh, few decades. And I think this confirms it. It seems it seems to me that the reason this was done is remember, Joe Biden announced his first deadline right around that would be right around 9-11. And I think he wanted that for the political points to be able to get up and say to the American people, I'm the president that ended our forever war. And I think that dictated the rush out, you know, to do this in the midst of the fighting season, even if you support withdrawal, I think it's sort of the implication to Myra's point, even if you support withdrawal, which I, I didn't, um, you could do it in a different way, not um, not be so embarrassed and so caught by surprise. And they're spending all their political capital trying to deny what everyone's thinking. This is another fall of Saigon. I mean, they're trying to deny that as people are watching images of our helicopters going over the embassy and so forth, the desperate scenes at the airport, the uh, Taliban troops like the North Vietnamese army in the presidential palace. Um, I just think our credibility has taken a big hit. And it it reminds me less of Vietnam than of Jimmy Carter and the Iran hostage crisis, which was soon followed by the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. The world becomes a very dangerous place when um, America loses its credibility. Steve, to Bill's point, um, this does carry far broader implications than just Afghanistan. You can imagine leaders in China and Russia and other places where the U.S. is not held in well regard, uh, taking a look at this and changing how they think about some things. Absolutely. And in this case, unfortunately, we don't even have to imagine you've had Chinese state press basically suggesting uh, that the U.S., that, that those folks um, who are aligned with the U.S. in Taiwan ought not take much comfort in the fact that they're aligned with the U.S. because the U.S. has shown itself an unwilling partner. And I think, you know, when, when you look at this on a, in a, on a macro level, what you see here is a total failure of 
American leadership, and in particular, American presidential leadership. You'll remember the speech that Barack Obama gave when he announced that he was going to first surge troops into Afghanistan. In the very next sentence, he also announced the withdrawal date, or what he wanted to be the withdrawal date. You saw the same thing with Donald Trump. You've seen the same thing with Joe Biden. And it's no surprise that a majority of the American public in answering uh, polling questions doesn't indicate much enthusiasm for our, our efforts in Afghanistan when you have three successive presidents that have signaled that they don't have any enthusiasm or commitment to our presence in Afghanistan. And I think that is, you know, if you want to take the, the long view of this, the, the main reason for U.S. failure in Afghanistan, the reason we lost the war in Afghanistan was a failure of presidential leadership. You didn't have President Obama speak about Afghanistan after that initial speech in any serious way. Donald Trump signaled he wanted to get out, really never spoke about it and, and rushed to get out. Joe Biden is now claiming preposterously that he had no other recourse but to follow through on the flawed deal that Donald Trump's administration had negotiated. These are so-called leaders of the United States who chose to dodge. They chose to, to, to bail. And without a, a real commitment, um, it was, I think, we were destined to fail and we were destined to lose the war, which is a, a very sad statement. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmead. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. And of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Mara, in, in a purely political sense, if you ask the question to voters every election, they would all say that they wanted to bring the troops home from Afghanistan. And in part because leaders weren't talking about it and the need for it, um, that's really what took hold if you, if you polled people about this issue. But oh, no how, how you do it, if, if there's 3,000 troops that give the Afghan security forces a backbone and this chaos doesn't happen, that's the difference. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Look, Steve, we can debate whether the Afghan war was winnable or unwinnable, but there's no doubt that after 20 years, the American public had soured on this kind of foreign intervention and certainly wanted to get out of Afghanistan. But that's quite different, as you point out, to the execution of the policy. The policy itself, withdrawing from Afghanistan, might be popular, but Joe Biden ran as someone who was competent who could govern. He was the antidote to uh, Donald Trump. He had tremendous decades of foreign policy experience. I mean, this was part of his brand. And to, to, ha- to watch this unfold, they've had months and months to prepare for this. There are so many questions. Was he, did the military and intelligence officials literally not think this would happen? Or did they know and didn't tell him? Did he overrule them? I mean, I think that the execution of this of this withdrawal is is all on Joe Biden. But yes, there's plenty of blame to go around for the 20 year war in Afghanistan. But will there be somebody? Or will there be political be, ramifications? Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting question, because what we know from our history in Vietnam is Gerald Ford presided over the Saigon withdrawal. A couple months later, his approval ratings went up. Not in the end, 
to, to help him very much, but we don't know what will happen. I think it will depend on several things. Will Al-Qaeda get another safe haven in Afghanistan and launch attacks on Americans from there? That would be very bad, and I think that will hurt Joe Biden politically. What about other images coming out of Afghanistan, people being executed, women being forced out of schools? Um, I think a lot depends on what happens now. But what we have seen in the past is that the American people uh, can move on pretty quickly, especially from something they really don't care about. So it's hard to say right now what the ramifications will be. We can certainly say that elite opinion has been devastating. To have Ryan Crocker, you know, say that this calls into question Joe Biden's uh, competence as, as commander in chief. I mean, Crocker has worked for both Republican and Democratic administrations as ambassador to Afghanistan. The dog thinks somebody should go. Yes, um, the dog thinks yeah, somebody should go. I'm um, sorry. That's all right. Listen, I think that um, is it possible that Jake Sullivan's in trouble here? That's very hard for me to tell. This is Joe Biden's decision. What would what would firing Jake Sullivan do? I mean, Biden has been described as someone who who really is involved in these decisions. He's not an empty suit. He has been against uh, our continuing stay in Afghanistan for many, many years. Uh, he was very clear about what he wanted. And reports are that he actually overruled his military advisors, which is the prerogative of the commander in chief. Yeah. Bill, final thoughts. I think he will pay a price. I mean, one of the things is American uh, public opinion can move pretty quickly. It may not be fair, um, but the same American public that could say, yeah, we've been there so long and so forth um, could also say uh, we don't like looking weak before the world and so forth. It's not necessarily fair. You know, when I worked for President Bush, a lot of people wanted out of um, Iraq and, and especially they wanted out right before the surge speech. When we delivered the surge speech, even the conservatives were all people just wanted to get out. They did not want to hear um, turning down. And, and President Bush would frequently say, you know, Bubba wants us out, but he wants it on a conditioned uh, uh, basis and so forth. So I think this is all on Joe Biden. I do think it'll be hard to ignore if if the Taliban does anything like it did um, the last time that it held power. And uh, I'd like to hear, I mean, it, it's, it strikes me that the military catastrophe, the inability to protect the airport, for example, to have the planes um, take off, is that because they asked for resources and were denied? Um, I think there are a lot of questions and I think we've taken a big hit. I think it's all on Joe Biden. He's the president now. He came in, as Mara said, he's the one that presented I'm the sophisticate, the former chairman of the, you know, the Senate Committee on Foreign Affairs. I can do all that. And it, it's it's his decision, his timeline. And I think he's going to pay uh, a terrible price for it. I think it's just going to it's going to be his legacy. And I think it was all done uh, for a political reason. And let's let's be clear about this. One legacy of this is the um, the Taliban always argued that Vietnam meant America will cut and run. They don't have the stomach for the long fight. Going forward, 9-11 will be a day of victory and celebration for the Taliban. Yeah, and it's hard to believe, Steve, but this is the 20th anniversary. And just a month before, the Taliban will be back in power. Yeah, it really is amazing that, that the, 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 the flag, the black flag of the Taliban will fly over Kabul. And, you know, not just on... September 11th and the 20th anniversary for the foreseeable future. I don't think there's any will in the international community to do anything to, to push them back. 
at this point, given the sacrifices that have been made uh, to this point and uh, the lack of will, uh, collective will, to do anything about it. I think we're looking at a, a, a massive, massive tragedy and a real embarrassment for the United States. All right, panel, thanks very much. Here's a bit of presidential history. August 16th, 2000, delegates to the Democratic National Convention in Los Angeles formerly nominated Al Gore for president. Convention was held at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Gore accepted the nomination, and his speech focused on the future, saying, we're entering a new time. We are electing a new president, and I stand here tonight as my own man. I want you to know me for who I truly am. He ultimately lost the presidential election after a historic recount in Florida, known as Bush v. Gore, found in favor of George W. Bush and the Supreme Court, making him the 43rd president of the United States. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Mara, Bill, and Steve, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.